0: You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in John ten, eleven, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Can you say today that Jesus is your shepherd? Think about that. Think about having Jesus Christ as your shepherd. What else would you, who else would you want to be your shepherd? (laughs) Think about how safe you must be right now with Jesus as the one guarding your soul. With Jesus as your shepherd. Think about how much love uh, Jesus must have for you as your shepherd. Because Jesus is God. God. He is the one who created everything. He's the one who holds everything together right now. He's the one who came to earth and who bore our sins on the cross and who died and rose again. This is our shepherd. Jesus is the one who stripped Satan and sin and hell and death of all of its power. Jesus is the one who will come again. He will return to earth one day. He will throw Satan and sin and death and hell forever into a lake of fire. And this all-powerful, sin-conquering Jesus is your good shepherd who stands watch. He stands watch over your soul with his rod and his staff to comfort you and to protect you now and forever. Wow. (laughs) What greater comfort could you ever have than knowing that Jesus is your shepherd? Please open your Bibles with me to John 10, verses 1 to 21. In this passage, Jesus has been confronting the Jewish religious leaders called the Pharisees, and he's been explaining to them how he, as the good shepherd, watches over his flock so differently than they have. Lord, we thank you for being our good shepherd. We need you. We need you, Lord, to save us and to care for us. We need you to protect us. And we thank you for showing us so much compassion and so much undeserved grace. Holy Spirit, as we open your word, please minister to our souls now. Please feed us. We're your sheep. Please feed us with your word. Please focus our minds on you. Please keep away evil and evil powers now, Jesus. We have been covered by the blood of our good shepherd, Jesus. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 10, 1-21. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Two times in this passage, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Remember, the Gospel of John is known for Jesus' I am statements. Here he says, I am the good shepherd. And two weeks ago, we talked about what it means uh, that Jesus is the door of the sheep. He says in this passage, I am the door of the sheep. We talked about why the thieves and robbers are dangerous to our souls. And last week, Brent Carter talked about how our shepherd Jesus wants us to love one another as sheep in his flock. As we look at this passage today, we see 12 ways that our good shepherd, Jesus, takes care of us. And I want to look at six of those ways today. And Next week, I want to look at the other six. The other six ways that the good shepherd takes care of us, according to John 10. So today, let's look at the first six ways that our good shepherd, Jesus, takes care of us. First, Jesus cares about his sheep. Jesus doesn't merely care for the sheep, which he does. Jesus cares about his sheep. The heart of God, the heart of Jesus, is the heart of a shepherd who cares deeply about us. He loves his sheep. He wants good for his sheep. He plans good for his sheep. Verse 13 says that the hired hand cares for the sheep because he gets paid to but he doesn't care about the sheep. When the enemy comes, the hired hand hightails it out of there because he cares nothing for the sheep. But not so the shepherd who owns the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't ever leave his flock. He cares about his sheep because they belong to him. He cares about each individual sheep, and he cares about his flock as a whole. Do you know today That Jesus cares about you. (laughs) That God cares about you. Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that your shepherd is not going to leave you? He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to turn against you, ever. (laughs) Jesus says in 1 Peter 5, Cast all of your anxieties on me because I care for you. I care about you. Give me your problems. I know what you're going through today. I know what you're worried about. And I want you to throw all of it onto me. I want you to trust me with it because I care about you. And do you know that Jesus cares about this flock here at Cedar Home? Do you know that he is the shepherd of the flock and he's going to take care of this flock? And do you and I know that you are not the shepherd. And I am not the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd of his flock. And Jesus is in control. This is Jesus's flock. So if you're a sheep in our flock, do n- everything in your power not to hurt this flock, not to hurt other sheep in the flock. Because while pain is inevitable, because we live... In a broken world, as redeemed sinners, by all means, do not scheme about how to get your way in this flock. Do not scheme about how to hurt other people and get vengeance in this flock. Jesus will not let his flock be hurt and let that person go unpunished. It's his flock, and nobody messes with his flock. Jesus cares for the flock more than you do. And he cares for the flock more than I do. And I love you guys. I love this church. But my love is nothing compared to Jesus' love for you. He's the good shepherd. He cares about you. He cares about the flock here at Cedar Home. And he cares about all of his flock in this community, in this state, in this country, and to the ends of the earth. He's the good shepherd, and he cares about his sheep. Second, Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. In verse 14 to 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus knows you better than anybody else knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knew you as one whom he would redeem and rescue before he ever even created your soul. None of us can know people before they're created. God can. Jesus knew you when you were just a cluster of cells, when your unformed substance was invisible to the human eye inside your mother's womb. He knew you when you were a newborn baby, And when your brain wasn't even formed enough to know yourself. (laughs) Jesus knows what you're like and he created you just exactly according to his will. He knows what breaks your heart. He knows what you have been through. He knows what it felt like when you were a child and you were hurt and nobody else was there with you. But he was there with you. He knows you right now. He knows what your future holds. He knows you, and he's watching over you. In Psalm 139, God speaks these words through a song of David. He says this to God, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Then hop to verse 9. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And because he created you to be in a redemptive friendship with him, to be his son or daughter in Christ, you know him too, if you're one of his sheep. Because of his amazing grace, he has allowed you to know him in such a miraculous, mind-blowing way that he says it actually mirrors the way that he knows God the Father, And for the rest of eternity, Jesus is going to increase this knowing of himself to you. He's going to increase your knowledge of him as your friend and as your God. Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Third, Jesus comes to his sheep. Jesus comes to his sheep. The the shepherd comes to his sheep. Now, it may not seem that remarkable that a shepherd comes to his sheep except when your shepherd is a king. Except when your shepherd is the king of heaven whose home is among angels and cherubim and seraphim and streets of gold and he sits on a royal throne fit only for God himself. This great God is our shepherd, and he made himself, he condescended himself to be born lowly among lowly shepherds, so that he, the good shepherd, might shepherd us into eternal safety. Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He left his home. He left his home for the sake of his sheep. Jesus was born among sheep and shepherds for the sake of his sheep. Jesus has left his Holy Spirit with us, his sheep, to fill us, to keep us, to preserve us until the coming day when we will meet him face to face. Jesus is always with you, and you couldn't get rid of him if you wanted to. Psalm 139, 7 to 12 says, This, this is is the reality for his sheep in his flock. Where shall I go from your spirit? Capital S, spirit. Holy Spirit. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jesus, our good shepherd, comes to his sheep. Fourth, Jesus has the authority to lay down his life for his sheep and to take it up again. Jesus has the authority to do this. Okay. In verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father now, obviously, it's amazing that Jesus has the authority to take up his dead life again, but why is it so amazing that Jesus has the authority to lay down his life? Because the life that he lays down is God's life. 150,000 people die every day around the globe. And that's not that remarkable in this broken, sinful world. But what's remarkable is that Jesus has the authority to lay down God's life. What human being has the authority to lay down God's life? (laughs) What ruler or angel or important person or demon or other created thing has the authority to lay down God's life on the altar? Nobody. Only Jesus has the authority to do this. Only Jesus has the authority to lay down his life. And he says, no one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord. See, the Pharisees did not take Jesus' life. That's why we've seen in John and John uh, time and time again here, as as they get angry at him, they try to get their hands on him, it says, but they can't touch him because he's in control. Nobody touches him until he says they could touch him. Even after Jesus has been flogged, and as he stood in this Roman court with a crown of thorns crammed into his skull and he has a purple cloak on his back to mock him, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, did not take Jesus' life from him. In John 19, Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Nobody takes Jesus' life from him. And even the Roman executioners who nailed his limbs onto a wooden cross and hung him up on a hill and stabbed him in the side with a spear, not even those murderers took Jesus' life. Nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus gave his life away. He laid down his life of his own accord because as God, he alone has the authority to do this. And just as he had the authority to lay down his life, what human being in the history of humans has ever had the authority to take up his dead life? Who has ever been slaughtered publicly and then was wrapped and buried in Middle Eastern burial garments, sealed in a guarded tomb by Roman soldiers for three days, and then rose from the dead with more life and more power than he had before. Only Jesus. It's because Jesus is... The second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh to become the God-man, fully God, fully man, who has the authority of God like no human being ever has or ever will. The authority of God over life and death rests in the hand of Jesus. Only the good shepherd Jesus has the authority to lay down his life, the life of God, and to take up the life of God again. Fifth, Jesus says, uh, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. See, in verses 11 to 13, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming And leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, it's one thing to have the authority to lay down your life for your sheep. To lay down God's life for the sheep. But it's another thing entirely to actually do it. It's another thing entirely to actually lay down God's life for the sheep. It's one thing for God from heaven to watch us rebel against him, to pursue sin in all of its various forms, but it's another thing entirely for God to see that and then to say, I will lay my, down, my life down for them. I will do that so that those who belong to me will not suffer the eternal punishment they deserve for this sin. Our good shepherd Jesus laid down his life for his sheep God shows us his uh, his care for us in so many ways, but there's no clearer way to see how much God loves you than that he laid down his life for you. At his last supper, his last supper that he would eat, Jesus told his disciples in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He couldn't show a greater love. And then he did this not just for one of us, but for every sheep in his flock. He's laid down his life in our place in order to save ours. How does Jesus describe in this passage how he laid down his life for us? Well, he says that there are wolves that want to steal us away from God and from his flock, and they want to devour us. And those wolves, in this immediate context, refers to false teachers. And it could also include, obviously, tyrannical governments or evil people or demons or Satan himself. But Jesus says that whatever wolf tries to devour us, Jesus has already laid down his life for us in order to protect us from that wolf. Forever. We are protected forever by Jesus if we belong to Jesus because he's laid down his life for us. Jesus has already disarmed and eternally defeated Satan and all the evil powers that would seek to destroy us. Because of Jesus, think about this, because of Jesus, all of your greatest enemies that you could ever be worried about are now toothless lions. He took their teeth. Sickness, pain, cancer, death, hell, depression, suffering, loneliness, Satan, sin. They may roar at us. They may try to scare us. We might be scared. But because of Jesus, they have no real eternal power over us. Jesus took their teeth away. He took their claws away. They can roar. That's it. Our greatest enemies are now now clawless, toothless, Lions, because the Lion of Judah has defeated them. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, the Lion of Judah, is also the Lamb of God. And on the altar of the cross, he bore all of our past and present and future sins. He became, in his flesh, our evil thoughts, our actions, our words, that we've ever produced. And as the Lamb of God, he drank the cup of God's wrath for us so that we will never have to drink that cup. And we filled that cup by doing our own evil works against him. And as the full embodiment of our sin, Jesus was killed on the cross, and when he died, our sin died in his body. Our suffering and our guilt were carried in his body and killed in his body so that now we can be truly free. We can be free from these things. We can be free from Satan and sin and hell and death. We have to deal with the lions for a little bit and listen to them. But Jesus has already defeated them. And they're going to go away forever someday when he comes back. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake... God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You get what that's saying? That To become the righteousness of God, that means that on the cross Jesus took your sin from you and he gave you his perfect holiness. So if you're in Christ, you are now the righteousness of God. Only Jesus has the authority to do this. Only he has the authority to lay down his life and only Jesus has done it. He's the only one who's laid down his life for his flock. So if you've trusted in Jesus for for eternal life, then he has saved you from the wolves by laying down his life for you. Six, Jesus takes up his life again. So we read in this passage. Jesus takes up his life again. Jesus takes care of you and me by taking up his life again. It's one thing to have the authority to take up your life again from the dead, but it's another thing entirely to actually do it. And that's exactly what our good shepherd Jesus has done. In John 10, 17, Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, it's fascinating here that Jesus says that the father loves Jesus not only for laying down his life for the sheep, but he loves Jesus for laying down his life so that he might take his life up again. See, the good news, the gospel of Jesus is not just that Jesus died in the place of his sheep, which he did, but an equally important part of this is that Jesus took up his life again from the dead. And that is so important to the gospel that Jesus says that his father loves him for this, for the totality of what Jesus accomplished in his death and in his resurrection. Now, among other things, two of the most amazing aspects of Jesus' resurrection are that his resurrection resulted in Jesus being ultimately glorified. And at the same time, It resulted in Jesus' sheep being ultimately justified. Glorified and justified. Let's take those words one at a time. Well, first, glorified. By becoming our sin, by putting our sin to death, in the death of his own body, and then by taking up his life again from the dead, the resurrected Jesus was glorified in a fuller and more defined way than ever before. Philippians 3 says that Jesus' dead body was raised in glory. Jesus was resurrected in glory and in power. Now think about this. Can you imagine what was going through all of the people's minds when they saw Jesus walking around in a perfect body, although it did have his scars? What they were thinking when they saw him beat to death, and all of a sudden here he is three days later, and he's stronger than ever before. How long does it take to recover from a Roman flogging? How long does it take to recover from crucifixion? People don't recover. They die. That's the whole point of it. There's nobody living to tell. The fact is nobody recovered from crucifixion and nobody has ever died and risen again except Jesus. And even Jesus died. But Jesus is the only one who got back up. And he's the only one who told the Roman Empire, even on your best day, you don't have anything on me. (laughs) What would, think about this. All of the people who mocked Jesus and who said, crucify him, crucify him. All of the rulers who played a part in his death, all of the torturers who were involved in penalizing him and taking his clothes and spearing him. What were they thinking when they saw him walking back around again? I bet they were scared to death. Jesus was back, and he was more glorious than ever before. And he didn't hide it. He appeared to all sorts of people over a period of 20 or 40 days. And then at that point, he ascended physically with making sure there were lots of eyewitnesses to see. We read in Acts that he rose physically back up into heaven, and it was witnessed by hundreds of eyewitnesses, and as he did that, God the Father embraced his son for completing the mission, and he embraced his son as he returned to heaven, and God the Father seated his son on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and at the right hand of God, we read in Ephesians 1 that Jesus is far above all rule. And authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And the Father put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so Paul writes in Philippians 2, 9-11, therefore... God has highly exalted his son Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Our good shepherd Jesus, he laid down his life and then he took it up again and through it, he has been glorified And also, we have been justified. To be justified in the way that the Scripture uses this word, it means to be be declared not guilty of sin in God's sight. And this is what our shepherd Jesus has done for us. It's used in the past tense. It's not saying you're going to meet God someday and hopefully he'll justify you if you're in Christ, Jesus justified you already. You've already been declared not guilty. Paul says in Romans 4 25 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose justified in the sight of God. Now think about this. Everybody was saying he's he's a demon, he's Satan, he's He's evil. He's, he's a threat to the political empire. We need to kill him. Who justified him? God, the Father. Jesus raised Jesus, uh, God raised Jesus from the dead, completely pure again from the sin that he had borne on the cross. And as the full embodiment of God, Jesus was justified in God's sight, and he imputed that justification to you and to me. Just, we, we are justified before God the Father because Jesus is justified before God the Father. And we are the righteousness of God because Jesus is the righteousness of God. Wayne Grudem writes, when the Father in essence said to Christ, all the penalty for sins has been paid and I find you not guilty but righteous in my sight. He was thereby making the declaration that would also apply to us once we trusted in Christ for salvation. In this way, Christ's resurrection also gave final proof that he had earned our justification. You will stand before the holy God of the universe someday to give an account for your life. And that day will either be when you die or when Jesus returns. And you do not want to stand before the holy God of the universe, your creator, as a guilty, sinful, rebellious evildoer. You do not want that to be your standing in his court. You want to stand before God as a forgiven and justified son or daughter of God. And you don't have to wait in fear until that day to find out what your destiny in eternity will be. You can know today. You could surrender your soul to Jesus today. You can believe in him. You can trust in him. You can be saved by his blood and by his resurrection. You can receive God the Holy Spirit today in your soul. He will seal you and secure you as God's own beloved son or daughter today. You could be justified in God's sight today. (laughs) Surrender to Jesus. Talk to him. If you don't know where you're at with God, you need to talk to God today. You need to ask God today. You need to confess your sin today and give your life to Jesus today. Seriously, this isn't a a joke. And if you're a sheep, you will know his voice and he will call you to himself and you will want this good shepherd. Whether that's today or if God grants that you live tomorrow or next week, he will call you. If you don't feel that calling, pray to him. Say, Jesus, please call me. Please give me this faith because I don't want to stand before you guilty. This offer is for the whole world. Jesus wants you to know you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of facing him in the last day. That he's already purchased you. He already justified you. Your glorification is as good as done because you've been united to him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus takes up his life again, and through it, he is glorified, and we are justified. These are six of the 12 ways that our good shepherd takes care of us, according to John 10. Jesus cares about his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Jesus comes to his sheep. Jesus has the authority to lay down his life for his sheep and to take it up again. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep, and Jesus takes up his life again. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for feeding us today, Lord. Call your flock today, Lord. Call your sheep to you. Thank you, Lord, for standing guard. Thank you for being the door. Thank you for laying down your life, God, for us. I thank you that you care about us. Lord Jesus, please work out your love in us as we care about others the way you've loved us, both individually and as a corporate church family. May you be worshiped well in our hearts and minds today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.